2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from arsenalvision.co.uk. Happy New Year! (laughs) Happy New Year to you. Well, I guess 9 points out of 9 was too much to ask for. We were beaten at St Mary's. Beaten pretty well in the end. Uh, well, I say beaten well. We had we had a lot of the ball. Um, didn't do very much with it though. And we were undone by two bad defensive errors. And that cost us the game. Just the long and short of it all really. Yeah, I was actually quite excited about having our first choice back four again. Well, again, I think it was the first time ever they've played this season. Having uh, Debushi, Mersaka, Koscielone and Gibbs and Chesney together. I read on Twitter that that hadn't happened so far. So I was actually quite excited. It was even more so when I thought of having a defensive midf- midfield combination of Francis Coquilin and Callum Chambers in the middle of the pitch. You thought, well, that's a good foundation to to, to play our football on, like against West Ham. Maybe play on the break. But it didn't really work out that way. Had a lot of the ball, couldn't do much with it, and we just give them the first goal, really. Yeah, I won't go too much in too much detail about that because um the lads will be talking about that in a minute. Um, and we've got a guest guest on today. We've got um, Tim from Seven M Kickoff. He joins us. As well as Paul, James and Elliot. So it was pretty poor really in the end. Um uh, we haven't had enough have to rotate any players because half of our team are injured. We've got 12 players missing for that game. 12 first-team players. I mean, come on. It doesn't matter who you are. Even teams like Man City, take 12 of their first-team away and they're going to struggle, especially when you're playing a lot of games in a short space of time. So, yeah, excuse-making, whatever you want to call it, it's a fact. But, yeah, those individual mistakes are not down to the injuries, really. Because, as I said, first-choice back four. But, to get ourselves back into the game didn't have it in us hard place to go to and um, yeah that is that is it 2-0 and we have to look towards the cup game hopefully Arsenal can rest some players Uh, that need resting I'm thinking like the Santi Alexis players like that really Uh, so anyway enough about that well enough from me for now I'm going to hand you over and um, they're going to talk about the game transfers, and the look back into 2014. So enjoy.
1: Top four finish starting to look like a reality after a big three points is what the Saints podcast would say today. Happy New Year, everyone. You're not listening to a Saints podcast. You're listening to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can follow, unfollow, or block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And today we're going to be talking about the morass that was the trip to Southampton. Um, but we're going to do things a little differently today. We are also going to talk 2014 year and review a little bit and uh, the transfer window. So lots of uh, exciting things to talk about. Um, and as a treat for you, the listener, we have a new year's day offer buy three podcasters, get fourth one free. So it is my pleasure to welcome for the first time to this podcast, Tim from 7am kickoff. You can follow him on Twitter at the number 7am kickoff and read his excellent blog with uh, loads of excellent contributors as well. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Wassail. Wassail and welcome. Um, that was close to being uh Paul's patented welcome, which you're going to get momentarily because we're welcoming back Paul from Posnan in my pants on Twitter. Uh, he's not doing anything in my pants, as I always emphasize, that is all happening in his pants, Poznan in his pants, but follow him at Posnan in my pants. Paul, welcome back. Woohoo. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Not, not as traditional woohoo. There's a variation on a theme here, which is exciting. <laughs> And finally the ever optimistic, uh, Gunner fanatic 49 on Twitter. We call him James, James brighten our day.
3: Happy new year.
1: All right. There it is. All right. So now that everybody's welcomed into the podcast, um, it was not the ideal day, uh, in Southampton. Uh, it, it was one of those games where it's, it's frustrating because I didn't think they were particularly very good as, as good as they can be. Um, but we, uh, strive to outcrap them on the pitch. Um, it was an interesting lineup. And then it was uh, a very creative way that we gifted them the goals. Let's start quickly with the lineup because it was interesting team selection. Some of it was probably enforced. Uh, we'll get to Giroud and, and you know, his absence in a moment, but let's start with you, Tim, since you're new and you have fresh ideas that people may actually want to hear. Um, what did you think when you saw the team sheet today. Um, what was your expectation? and What was your reaction?
4: I thought we were going to sit back and play deep and try to hit them on the counter. And we didn't do that. <laughs> so that was a, it was a bit of a surprise. The first five minutes usually is very action packed and you get, you know, you don't get the team shape yet. But after that, I expected Arsenal to sit back and actually it turned out that Southampton played that, that role today and Arsenal. I, I don't know what we were doing out there, you know, and, um, so yeah it was it was a, it was a it was a shock. I was very shocked to see that we came out in some kind of crazy attacking formation.
1: yeah, um I mean, did you think that let, let me put it this way I mean obviously Callum Chamber's starting in midfield, something we haven't seen all season alongside Coughlin. Do you think that was a reflection of the fact that the manager liked how we looked with two shielding midfielders? Uh, at West Ham and with Flamini not available, wanted to try to recreate at least the pattern of play and the way we played um, in that game. Or, or do you think it was just a case of he played what players he has left?
4: <laughs> was Flamini really not available, or was he dropped? Because
1: I, I performance... read something about a, a possible groin niggle or something. But, but I mean, honestly, he may have been mm. dropped. I'm not sure. I think his, he was in his performance.
4: His performance in the previous match was absolutely abysmal. So yeah. I I assumed he was dropped actually for this game and well deservedly. And Chambers actually did very well in the time that he played. He, he, you know, completed 43, 48 passes. He had nine ball recoveries. The two between him and, in Coquelin Coquelin was seven for seven tackles between the two of them. They played, they played that shielding role pretty well. There was one very notable error, but um, I'm sure we'll get to that later. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was enforced by Wenger or whether... I, I had the feeling he dropped... I think I think he dropped Flamini and wanted to try Chambers for once.
1: Interesting. Okay, well, um, you know, regardless of the reason he was not in the side, I mean, it was definitely the same kind of tactic in having two holding midfielders protecting what would be our first choice back five, I think you would say, with Monreal arguably you know, knocking on the door for the left back berth, but um, it it didn't work quite as well today. You know, James, I, I think the thing that's, that's challenging is Arsene Banger always talks about the importance of continuity. And this was such a changed side. Um, Chambers had not played in midfield all season. It was only Coughlin's second start. I believe it's for second or third start of the season. Um, Alexis starting at the center forward position for one of the, you know, the first time since as far as I can remember, maybe back in August, um, and Riziki not even starting in midfield, starting on, on the wing. Do you think that some of the, the problems we had going forward today and the lack of fluency was down to the who was playing or just the lack of continuity, players playing in positions that were unfamiliar and unfamiliar partnerships on the pitch?
3: I think it was very much a combination of the two. Um, it's funny you mentioned continuity because it's the one, you know, Wenger very regularly always, you know, when he talks about Sort of past summers between, you know, during this kind of ten-year period, he's often um, berated. Player, the the consistent number of players sort of leaving his squad. The lack of consistency is what he often attests to, and obviously the large number of injuries um, compounds that um, that issue significantly. Um, and the side itself was 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 much changed from a few days ago against West Ham. And I I must say I'm not. Convinced that Flamini was dropped as such, because if he'd been dropped, he would still have been on the bench. I imagine at least. There's no reason why he would have just been left back in, um, out of the squad entirely. Yeah. Um, I think what was what was strange about the game is that you know we've talked a lot about the back four of the last few pods, um, and you could probably make a strong argument that the back four that we utilised in today's game is on paper the strongest four players we have in those positions. Um, I said I can. I imagine there's an argument to be made that that four itself hasn't played much together. Um, but when I looked at when you look at the individual errors that were being made, surprisingly, the two players that that seemed to cost us the most today were the two players that I would probably, for a defensive standpoint, feel that we could rely on the most, and that would be Chesney and Kosciani. Um Clear errors made on both goals, and I think there's also probably an argument to be made for that first goal that um lack of decision making to um, cover cover Chesney once he decided to make some sort of inane inept decision to uh, rush out to money who wasn't causing a particular threat at the time um and was somewhat covered by koshiani um and and then you look towards sort of you know when you looked at the team sheet it was it was Cockland and Chambers that was the sort of surprise inclusion and as as Tim mentioned they they both had decent games i wouldn't say they had fantastic games but certainly decent games and the other issue really for us going forward was just how slight we were Um, we really missed one one over the combination of the Giroud and Welbeck up top and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about um, how Giroud's decision against QPR has has thus cost us going into this game in particular Um, but you could really see that the us, the sort of lack of height and the lack of physicality that we had was a a serious issue for us Um, and provided little outlet as well for Chesney. yeah Um,
1: I mean, I, I think james, the the thing for me that's difficult with this game is trying to analyze it in the absence of the two goals we gave away, because they really were moments of uh, moments of madness. I mean, is is the cliche, but really moments of lack of concentration or poor decision making. Outside of that, I, I the game was interesting to me because I thought southampton were were fairly poor. Um, I don't think they created a whole lot of chances, especially. Um, before they got two goals up and we started chasing the game. And I think that we had them pinned back at times. Um, you know, Paul, I'll ask you a question. Obviously, the way we gave away the goals was frustrating. But let's let's focus on the attack for a minute, because I think that's where, <clears throat> ultimately, we had a very sort of unorthodox setup, and 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 it was interesting kind of watching how we tried to create attacks, especially without a focal point, and the way Alexis was deployed. Were you was there anything you saw that you liked about how we played attacking today? You know, what did you think of the chances that, that we missed? And as far as, I mean, I, I know it was a disappointing defeat, but if if you had to pick a man of the match for Arsenal, was there, was there anyone that stood out for you today on the positive side?
5: Sure. Well, let me work in reverse order because of a bad memory. So, um, I really liked Coughlin today. I thought he was really, really good. Uh, And had we had a winning performance, I think everybody would be raving about him. I I think his first half against West Ham was really strong. His second half, he looked a little tired. He lasted a little longer today. I think he he began to make a mistake or two towards the end of this game. But I thought his performance, uh, you know, he every bit matched uh, Wanyama for me. Uh, throughout this game, maybe maybe towards the end, as I say, was beginning to fade a little bit and uh, his role changed a little bit. But first 80 minutes, I thought he was really good. Um, <clears throat> so that might be a controversial pick, but he doesn't have a lot of competition for best player of the game. So uh, I, th- I was r- very impressed with him. Now, we've seen f- false dons before from players and false dons indeed from Coquelin but he's had, uh, you know, best part of two really strong games now. So that was my, that was my one comfort food from this game. Mm -hmm. Um, Our attack, what I felt was, I I thought before the goal, I agree with you, we kind of, we kind of matched them, but it seemed like their attack was running to plan. And that's how they got their goals. And you could see them stretching us wide and, and uh, pulling our centre-backs all over the place. And it really looked like their plan was working. Uh, our attack didn't seem to have much identity to it, uh, and, and obvious reasons there, no, no great focal point. But it was really relying on some clever interchange. Well, I guess that's the Arsenal way. But uh, I really felt a lack of presence in, from attack in midfield and no... I mean fluidity is a is a tricky thing. You can be fluid and you can also lose any kind of formation or any kind of of uh, structure or plan so that's mm-hmm. that's the issue with non structure um, so it, I, I felt that although our opportunities kind of matched theirs before the goal, they had the more impressive game plan and you know, had it gone in at zero zero halftime, they could be feeling the more confident from their approach. Their approach seemed to be working. You could see what they were trying to do. Uh we were relying on moments of brilliance. Yeah.
4: I just Um, I just want to say something about what Paul just said. That they that's exactly what I see in the numbers here in terms of the Southampton came in to cross the ball. They crossed the ball very well. They got five shots off of ten completed crosses. Of those five shots, all five were in prime areas, so right in front of goal. Arsenal, on the other hand, I, I disagree with the idea of interplay. Arsenal, on the other hand, attempted to try crosses as well, and ended up six of thirty-one because we have guys up front who were five foot two, five foot three, never going to win those crosses. Ended up having just one shot off of all those crosses, and it was and it was outside of the prime area. So, you could see very clearly that 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 Southampton had a game plan they put it into motion they they knew that arsenal were susceptible to crosses they went after them on those crosses and they and i actually think that they i agree with paul i think that they they had a they had a strong game plan they came out they executed it well they scored two goals off of two moments of craziness but had they not scored off of those two moments of craziness i still think that they had a stronger game overall against um, as compared to arsenal
1: yeah I mean I I think that's fair. Well, well Paul I mean would you say that then that's sort of how how you saw it that that they not only that they that they had a game plan that they executed effectively and and we simply didn't.
5: Yeah and I I think to Tim's point on the crosses uh I feel we began in a way where we relied on we relied on interplay and as it became more and more apparent that wasn't going to work. We went more and more to desperation and crosses and 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 balls. So uh, I, I'd be interested to in see how the figures looked over time. But I would expect that the number of crosses ramped up as our number of ideas uh, and failure for the interplay to uh, reap any results kind of panned out. So yeah, uh, twenty you know, in the crosses, twenty in
4: the second half. Yeah. yeah. So they yeah. they att- attempted twenty of the thirty-one in the second half. So that does bear out some of your. Uh, yeah, it seems like I, a then.
5: bankruptcy of ideas at some point. And bringing Theo on at the end, and and then he doesn't even get a touch for twenty minutes. I mean, that shows you ha- our inability today to execute a game plan.
1: I, I think it's difficult. Also, I mean, look, we are we are a team that has a way we like to play. And, and while we could get into the debate another time about whether the manager makes tactical changes, by and large, we have a way we like to play. Um, when you start putting in so many new players in new positions, I think it's always going to look different, operate differently, have a different level of success. I think, you know, part of the reason we probably were resulting to crosses a lot is because we didn't have the players in the middle of the park that, you know, maybe could link together as well and play through the middle And Southampton let us get wide positions because we couldn't hurt them from crosses. So I wonder if how much is game plan and how much is is the result of the personnel uh, and the players on the pitch. But let's get to some of the incidents in the game specifically. Um, And James, obviously, the the two biggest incidents were the goals we gave away and we really did give them away. I'm curious to get your thoughts. I know on our last podcast after the West Ham game, um, we had talked a lot about Chesney being a, a choice for man of the match in that game. He won't be anyone's man of the match this game. Do you have the, both goals down as his error? I I certainly do um, on the second and arguably, uh, I mean, the first pretty clearly, although I, I think that someone could have been on the line, potentially, Sacker. but do you have Chesney down as as the culprit for both goals? And do you think it had anything to do with the way Southampton played or do you think it, we just genuinely shot ourselves in the foot on both uh, both goals?
3: Um, I would certainly agree that he was the major culprit for the first goal. Um, I'm not sure uh, Kosciani did as poorly as some would suggest. I think he, to a certain degree, had Mane fairly sort of shepherded off to the side of the penalty area. I don't think there was all that much danger until um, Chesney erratically came off his line. Um, and I do agree that Perhaps, I, you, if, you, if you look back at it, when Chesney first comes out, Saka is marking Pele, but Pele actually moves away from Saka closer towards where Manny is. Um, and at that moment, um, instead of him remaining in that position for, for for a couple of seconds, there's no need for him not to sort of start heading back to the goal line. Um, and had he done so in that moment immediately, then you would imagine that that goal would have been evaded. Um, and it's, it's even more painful looking back at the game because at, at that point in the match... We certainly seem to be the better team, and I do got to argue that we were probably the better team for most of that first half, despite the sort of um, the cobbled together lineup that we that we managed to field. Um, with regards to the with regards to the second goal, it, it's it's a combination of um, you know Debushi's touch is, is poor. There's no reason you know it, it should be a fairly standard you know just just sort of cobble the ball out, out, release the danger. Uh, once the ball does come across, there's still Modsic is there Debushi still actually technically has enough time to get back to that ball Chesney very erratically um gets rid of you know he panics and gets rid of it and it goes straight to Tadic so he's certainly he, he certainly partly at fault for that and um Debussy didn't help the thing is is you know we we what we've talked about in the in the past with Chesney is you kind of need that slight erraticism to be in in some ways to be a top goalie just because of that kind of mental fortitude he has and um Obviously, it's not easy sometimes the decision-making for a goalie, but in the past, there have been various moments that we've seen where he's rushed out of goal or he's done things that seem strange that could have been costly, but more often than not, in fact, most times they haven't proved to be. Today happened to be one that that cost us severely. Um, And you really saw, based on the pattern of the game, that once that second goal went in, we we just looked like a team that wasn't going to get back into it. I think at halftime, the feeling was especially given the way in which the Southampton fans reacted before the, the, the whistle blew for the halftime. You could see that they were under a lot of pressure. But once that second goal went in, we looked like a a team that was destined to, um, to lose that game.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think given the options we had in attack, you know, we were only ever going to be so potent. Plus, it is a difficult stretch of fixtures. And, you know, when you're down two goals and you're in the 70th minute and you've been playing a lot, um, it's easy to let that fatigue kind of just tell your body to to turn off a little bit um tim you know obviously you look at the stats and the numbers a lot and you know i i look at these expected goals stats and things like that and you know everyone says who who follows those stats as arsenal should be better and that the the expected goals suggest that you know that we're still comfortable top four finishers and and so on i mean at what point is the reason that we don't live up to our expected goals performance down to the fact that we just don't have players that finish chances and, and our, our natural goal scores. I mean, again, today we had some chances. Santa Cazorla had an, a really presentable chance that he shot sort of straight at the keeper. I mean, do you see anything in the stats that suggests that we spurn more presentable chances than we should? And, and is that really what's making life difficult for us?
4: Um, I think you're, there's a, there's a weird stat that I haven't had a chance to look at though you mean the, there's sort of the, big goals or, or big chances is what they call it. Yeah, and something I have to admit, seen... I'm,
1: I'm not the statistician, obviously, so yeah, I'm leaving I, you here.
4: <laughs> I haven't taken a look at that yet, so I can't answer that question. Um, I do know that in terms of what I consider big chances or chances right in front of goal, we are dead even with our opposition in terms of uh, the percentages that we're allowing in, in those situations which is a reversal of last season where we were forcing the opposition to shoot outside more. And um, we're not doing that as well this season. So that could be down to a number of factors, whether that's down to a lack of organization. Oh, and I should say for anybody who's listening, who hasn't heard me say this many times before, but shots from outside the box are scored at a significantly lower percentage around 3% or lower per shot then shots inside the box, which are about 12%, and then, of course, shots inside of prime areas, which are around 30%. And so last season, we were very good at keeping the opposition, to shooting about 50% of their shots from outside the box. That's a great percentage. This season, we're starting to, to allow the opposition to shoot closer and tighter into the into the box, and that's causing us uh, trouble in terms of... Uh, well, that's not causing us trouble, but they're, they're scoring goals off of that, so... Uh, As you would expect them to do. Uh, I haven't looked at the TSR and um, expected goal stuff this week, though, so I can't really answer that question.
1: Okay, yeah, I mean, the reason I ask is obviously because we saw in West Ham we spurned a lot of chances. It didn't come back to haunt us, but, um, you know, today I thought if we we, we put a lot of pressure on them at the end of the first half and we didn't make anything from it, and to be fair, I mean, you look at the players that are out there, um, you know, and you've got Rasicki who did score against West Ham but is not, you know, a, a... true goal scorer, um, Oxley chamberlain who doesn't get the goals he should, Santi Cazorla, who doesn't get the goals from open play that he should, uh, C- Coughlin and Chambers, who are never going to score you goals. I thought it was interesting, you know, w- we'll get to Coughlin really quickly, because I want to kind of finish um, on this game with, with a question about Coughlin, but Paul, I mean, would you say that that, y- you know, I mean, defensively we know what our issues are, but we're going to have those issues. Uh, we started the back five today that's supposed to be our best back five, and in spots I thought we actually defended well, except for the suicidal defending on both goals. But do you think missed chances is really what's holding this team back? Not not the defending as much as that's that's clearly a problem, but that we don't that when we do create chances, we're not taking them with great enough
5: regularity. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. I mean I I have a lot of time for the expected goals uh stat. I mean it only tells eighty percent of the story. It tells you a kind of the opportunities you've created, but if you're calamitous in your defending and you're calamitous in your finishing, you know you can't blame the expected goals stat. They don't actually kick the ball into the net for you. And you know, if you look at uh, Michael Cayley's expected goals for this game now, it probably got a little. Well, I guess we were a little bit more dominant in the second half. They kind of let us have a little bit more of the play. But according to him, it should have been a two point four to zero point seven game. Now. I think we can all see we should have put at least one of those chances in the in, in the uh net today. So that would have been one goal for us. <clears throat> if you round up his point seven to one, then he would have said they should have beaten us about two and a half goals to one today. Uh, which is probably about right. Maybe three goals to one if uh if everybody'd been taking their chances. So um Absolutely. I think well we- and
1: let, let's not forget the chance they had by the way that Debushi cleared off the line. Um, for sure,
5: and then they hit the post. Pelle, I think, hit the post, and they were, they had a lot of good chances. So I think they were they were worth two and a half to three goals, if you if you can have half a goal, which fortunately can't, um, and unfortunately we can't have point seven of a goal. But um, I think it's a pretty good rating for understanding how we've been playing. I, I think we've been playing better than our results, but we haven't been finishing better than our results, and we haven't been defending better than our results. And that's really what that expected goals stat tells you. When, yeah. when you start finishing, when you start defending uh, more clinically, then I think you really match that expected goals stat, and we're not. Yeah. And we, the, the bad news is we did today.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, one thing that might have helped us finish is if we had a natural center forward on the pitch, and we could have if Giroud hadn't been sent off stupidly a couple games ago. I think we really saw that come home to roost today, uh, thankfully not at West Ham, but I, I think we really suffered from not having him today with Welbeck out, Podolski out, at least according to the manager, he's injured, although I think he might have a little bit inter Milan niggle. Um, but, uh, James, I mean, do you think... Today was where the the Giroud absence really hurt us and not having a focal point. And, I mean, you know, the the manager actually said today was a game that was winnable and we lost. That's my main concern, the lack of defensive consistency. And I actually agree with him. I thought Southampton were poor today. I don't think they played particularly well. I think in the opportunities they had, they were gifted to them. And I think they they got pushed back a little too easily and, and didn't look confident defensively at all and we just weren't clinical enough or didn't have the ideas or the quality on the pitch to finish them off. I mean, what were you most disappointed in in the fact that we just couldn't find that, that final ball to, to get back into the game? And do you think that some of that's down to, to missing Giroud today and, and really paying for that red card?
3: Absolutely. I mean, I, th- I mentioned it very briefly earlier. I think we severely missed both Welbeck and you Giroud. In today's game, when you look at the forward three or four, you look at, at Santi Gazzola, Ox, Rosicki, and Sanchez. The tallest between the three of them, I mean, I a guess must be about sort of 5'10. Um, there's no diversity in in the types of players we have going forward, and we know how much Wenger likes to play like a fluid game, but he also he he, he likes to have a sort of interchange, he likes to have a, a variety in the way in which we go forward. Um so even even when we were able to have the ball at our feet, there it was very easy for Southampton to, to to play very narrow and force us out wide and restrict the kind of opportunities that we were able to create. Um, we had we had players in the form of Sanchez and and Ox who were able to, to beat to beat players, um, to to play those fairly sort of risky dribbles, etc. But they they're not so they're not a they're, it's a fairly high risk high reward sort of strategy that that. You you need you need that kind of variety in the games sort of a, a player a player in, a, in the ilk of a, a Welbeck or a Giroud that can hold the ball up that can allow you to get into the final third more often than not. There was one moment in the game in particular, which is just something that I that sort of comes to mind, where Kashani rolls the ball back to Chesney and he's under no pressure whatsoever, and I was surprised, especially given the type of players we had, that we weren't more regularly sort of just just passing the ball out from the back. And Chesney lumped the ball forward, and it, it was kind of indicative of just how poor his game was. Um, mm. And the ball went directly to Wanyama with no players around him, no, no player to even challenge. And I think that may have kind of been representative of just the sort of limited options. There was no, there was no player in particular that, that Chesney was able to sort of, to, I guess, lump the ball forward to. Um, and that, that very much inhibited the way in which we were able to um, start, a, start our attacks and, and kind of vary the way in which we, we attack Southampton. And also on that point, the other issue was I think in some ways, I know when we we talk about injuries now, there's there's kind of a, f- a general feeling that there's a lot of players coming back fairly imminently. Um, mm-hmm. But I think today more so than any, than any, com- especially compounded by the Giroud suspension, I we we had the least um, we must have had well, I would guess we must have had sort of the least amount of players, um, certainly attacking players available to us, um, and when you see. An Akpom and a Walcott coming on. Aside from the fact that Akpom is a, a, a raw nineteen-year-old talent and Walcott, a player that hasn't played for a, a year, or aside from the sort of twenty minutes of Burnley against Burnley, um, they're two. They're both just very. They're both small, quick players. They're very, very similar players. And you know, you can add Joel Campbell to that as well. To the types of players we had on the field, we just had. There was no. There was there was no way in which we could really change the way we, the way that we were able to. Um, Play the ball forward and, and 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 try and create or score a goal in that game. Um, so in in many ways, it was quite one dimensional.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the obviously the the thing that makes this game I think so difficult to to really analyze effectively is because those those errors leading to the goal were were such huge events and such game shaping events that it's it's difficult to look at it in the absence of that. But I think it's important before we get off of this game to at least analyze how we set up. And and in particular, this system now where we seem to, well, at least I shouldn't call it a system based on two games, but we went with Coughlin and Flamini at West Ham. We went with Chambers for the first time ever in midfield and Coughlin when he certainly could have tried something different there. Um, I wonder if he sees that as providing us a platform to counterattack or, or what the, the thought process is there. Uh, Paul, do you think that this is an indication at all that this is the direction Arsene wants to go to, to try to shore up the, the, the back four back five situation, or at least in a way matches to play with two, you know, what we would call holding or shielding uh, midfielders and maybe try to play a little bit more on the counterattack, Or do you think it's purely been um, needs must situation where he's, he's just picking the, from the, the few players that are left fit and available.
5: Purely needs must, in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought uh, Chambers, uh, th- this is harsher than it should be because it's certainly not his fault, but I thought Chambers was poor today in that you can have a cockalan. He did a really good job and he kind of distributed the ball. Actually, some of his forward passing in the first half was quite progressive. Uh, so I was quite, a, as you can tell, I was quite impressed by him all around. I thought Chambers was kind of a a bit of a dead spot for us. And you it, it, in in that game today you couldn't have one of your three midfielders not producing and and Chambers you know if we'd had a more driving player going forward beside Coquelin or if we'd had Arteta with Coquelin Coquelin would give Arteta the legs he doesn't have I've been impressed by Coquelin's pace and physicality over the last couple of de- de- uh, games and uh, I could see us playing more defensively as you talk about with if you like two two pivots uh, with the Arteta being the distributor and uh, Kashelny kind of, or sorry, Coquelin going around, bumping into people, making the tackles, <clears throat> covering the ground when for an away game and giving us a platform. I could see that working. Um, so that's kind of, that's that's what I'd take out of today. Apart from if you put out Coquelin, Chambers has never played together. And one of them who's never played that position and, and the other has just come back from Charlton and played one game in that starting position. You're only doing that out of desperation, I think.
1: I think that's fair, Paul. Um, you know, Ultimately, he can only pick from the players that are available, and because we don't have a lot of choices right now, it's hard to tell what he might have done if more players were available. I think, obviously, Arsene Wenger is a manager who, at least in his DNA, would prefer to be more attacking in his setup. Um, but we have seen in years past that when he needed to... Play more defensively. Certainly, I think two seasons ago springs to mind when we went back to basics and defended more to to get back into the top four. Um, he did do that. So, Tim, let me ask you this, and and if you want to you know pull from the statistics here in, in arriving at a conclusion, you know certainly that might be helpful. I'm I'm looking at who scored, uh, and I see Francis Coughlin completing ninety one and a half percent of his passes, mm-hmm. winning three aerial duels, making seven tackles. Um, I don't think anyone would argue that Mikel Arteta is still the best player we have in that sort of holding role. But can't you make a strong argument at this point that, as poor as Flamini has been, and I think he's been exceedingly poor, it can't possibly hurt to give Coughlin a run in the side until Arteta is back to play the Flamini role and re- and relegate Flamini, you know, to the third option there.
4: Uh, yeah, I I would agree. I don't I don't think Flamini adds anything to the team going forward. A lot of ways there was a, so what Paul was talking about in terms of Coquelin adding something going forward, whereas Chambers didn't, I'm not sure whether that was intentional or whether that's just a makeup of the way that the players, you know, Coquelin's being more comfortable in midfield chambers, not, but he's absolutely right. Coquelin had 13 passes in the final third, created a, created a shot for a teammate. Chambers was two for four. So he, Clearly, Chambers was not trying to get the ball into into the final third, whereas Coquelin was looking for that kind of pass. I think Coquelin would be great alongside any of the Arsenal midfielders who can pass the ball. Uh, he's not a he's not a terrible passer, but neither him nor Chambers have the ability to make that long, um, direct pass that that Arteta can make and. Uh, that it is so crucial to Arsenal's to, to getting Arsenal's uh, defense the transition from defense to offense. So I think I mean yeah I would I Flamini can't do it and Flamini's been poor and Flamini has more point, more points points on the pitch per per minute than any other player you know he knows where to point people to go he doesn't seem <laughs> to know where to go himself.
1: And Is that so, an Optus stat? <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, that's, that's, a, that's a Bostel stat. Okay. The, um, so, yeah, the, 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 I, I don't see any reason why at this point, well, other than the fact that it may be a rush to judgment, you, you know, you have to be careful. Two games, that can be dangerous. But Coquelin's had two good games, and Flamini has looked tired. And so, yeah, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't start Coquelin over Flamini.
1: Yeah, you know what sums Coughlin up for me a little bit is um, he made seven tackles, won three aerial duels, and then late in the game, that cross that he ballooned into, like, the third row of the stands under no pressure. (laughs) I I just – no one's going to confuse him for Arteta in terms of technique and technical ability, but if we don't have Arteta available and we aren't buying a defensive midfielder – more on that later – then why not play the younger – you know, possibly more energetic, less yellow-cardy, less pointy-shouty guy. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I tend to agree. I think we could definitely stand to to give Coughlin a chance. Um, James, I mean, let, let's start to wrap up on this game because I do want to get to happier talks, which would be our, our year in review of 2014, or at least theoretically happy. Anything but, else. Um, <laughs> yeah, anything else. Look, I, I mean, James – No one's saying Coughlin is the answer at defensive midfield, but but with Flamini as the other option, I mean, would would you make that change? Would you give Coughlin a a run in the side at that position?
3: I mean, I I can see it doing no harm as such, given that I don't think Flamini adds anything to the team, but I do think it's important to qualify it by saying that we've seen a. This is also a player that you know he's been loaned out to Charlton. He's now I think he's turning 24 very soon. You know, he's a player that has had plenty of time to develop. Um, has had plenty of time to kind of fulfill any so called potential he might have. Um, and yes, we've seen two very, two at least pretty good performances from him. But that's also got to be countered by the fact that he has played alongside another defensive or more defensive midf- uh, minded midfielder alongside, say, both Flamini and Chambers. And I think that's a role that suits him particularly well because of his sort of terrier like attitude. He likes to cover a lot of ground, he's quick. Um... He, he he makes a lot of recovery tackles. He, he he's quick into a tackle. But I, what I do fear is that if he's isolated as, as that single DM in the way that um, you know Flamini and Arteta are, are more often deployed, um, that there will be there will be times when he will be caught out where that his, his his some sometimes and somewhat erratic decisions um, may may in some ways kind of draw similarities to what we we've seen with Matteo Flamini. Um, when he's played there by himself. Because I, I actually think that, that the way in which they go about their play is quite similar. Um, yeah, I, although... I don't disagree. I,
1: oh. I mean, I'll just tell you really quickly, James, I don't rate Coughlin at all. I just rate him better than Flamini.
3: <laughs> and and, and nor, nor am I particularly disagreeing with you as such. I just think it's something that is worth bearing in mind. I, I fear that in a system where Coughlin plays by himself, given if you look back at the kind of teams that Coughlin has been loaned out to the kind of performances he's really clocked up at say, L'Oreal. um, I think that's where he, he was in France. It's not like he's really come back as this this player that everyone is, uh, you know, has, has developed a lot of hype about. Um, uh, although he suited this system pretty well with the second DM, I I, I do fear that um, that he, he's not going to be particularly apt in, in that in that single sort of defensive role alongside say a, a Ramsey and an Ozil or whatever sort of dream you know, no-injury-esque lineup that we we may be able to concoct at some point. And I'm sure, you know, that, that would lead into um, <laughs> the kind of positions we're looking for during the transfer. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, look, let, let's face it. I mean, I think the way you could summarize this game is when when you look at the team sheet and you've got Chambers starting in midfield for the first time alongside a guy who was at Charlton two weeks ago, Rossicki, who basically was a forgotten man playing on the wing, which has never been a a particular strong suit for him at the best of times. You've got Alexis Sanchez, you know, playing the central striking role for the first time since the summer, and that didn't even really look that effective then. Um, A potentially unfit Oxlade Chamberlain being forced to to play, and then Santi Cazorla, like the the lone, really informed midfielder, being asked to create every opportunity. Yeah, I, I don't think that it was ever going to be a situation where we were going to create a mountain of chances. The disappointing thing today was we made a game where I think we probably could have stolen something, frankly, really impossible with a couple moments of just brainless defending slash goalkeeping. And it's it's disappointing to see us shoot ourselves in the foot, um, especially when we had a chance to continue to move up the table. Um, there, there was a red card shout. I think it probably should have been a red card. I think saying the referee cost us this game would be a little bit cheeky. I, you know, ultimately we cost ourselves the game and I don't know that we did enough at either end to deserve it. Um, So I don't really want to analyze the red card before we move on to 2014 or move back to 2014, just really quickly, I want to get any of your opinions just one at a time. Um, So James, just really quickly, does this game change your mind at all or your opinion at all about whether we'll finish in the top four? Do you still think, Top four is probable, and you're not you're not too worried about it after today.
3: In isolation, no, just because of the type of players that we had to field, and I think it's especially when you look at that front three, it's, it's very different to the the kind of dynamic three that um, that Wenger will and uh, you know once you have the option of both Shiro and Welbeck, you'd hope that they won't both get injured for long periods at the exact same time. Um, and and the kind of midfield that we were we were forced into playing, I don't think that's going to be a common recurrence, that lineup at
1: least over the rest of the season. Fair enough. Um, Paul, for you, I mean, uh, any, any change in your feeling that, that we're still going to claw our way into the top four? Are you starting to see inconsistency as, as too, too big a problem for this side?
5: It, strangely, I'm a bit more uneasy about this season than I am about other seasons. I still think we'll do it, but I do have this feeling of, you know, when is this team going to show up now? Injuries, you know, could be 100% of the story. But it does leave me feeling a little bit more une- uh, uneasy than maybe, uh, two or, you know, the last two or three seasons where we didn't have as strong a squad. It's the ident- identity of this squad that I'm struggling with. And that does leave me a little worried. But fortunately, our competition seems to be uh, well, well shaped to keep giving us the opportunity to make that top four. So I think we'll be okay.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I mean, we keep bringing up injuries as the problem. I, the the one thing I wonder is why is there an assumption that that will improve? You know, the the assumption that Mm. suddenly there'll be a period where we have fewer injuries and we'll play better is, is based on, you know, something changing in, in how things happen at the club. And I, I don't know why we, we presume that the injury situation will improve Tim, just in, 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 closing, I mean, with respect to top four, Southampton just went through a very, very, very tough run that was supposed to be the time when they drop out of the top four race and the big clubs get ahead of them. They've actually extended their lead on us today. They're still in the top four. They're still comfortably now in the top four. Um, are you confident that we'll get back into it? And, and do you think now, for the first time maybe, Southampton have to be considered a genuine contender for that place?
4: Mm. <laughs> There's such a I, – I mean – I don't want to. I don't want to answer that question in, after this game because the reality is is that is that there is so much more game. There is so much more time left in this in this season, and the, Arsenal are going to get Ozil and, and Ramsey and I mean just so many terrific players back. Maybe. And especially the, <laughs> well. Well, we have we have this season had a track record of getting players back earlier than we expected them, so that that I think bodes well, and we know that Ozil is back in training. Um, so I suspect that we, I suspect that we are going to, the injury is, the injury thing is going to go away. And I think that, I think that we're going to finish the season strong. I mean, I know after the game I was very down and I thought, but this performance was the kind of performance, the kind of mental fragility that, 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 that haunts this team. And that is the reason why so many people think that they're going to drop out of the top is Cause if they go through a wobbly period, there is a good chance that that wobbly period will go from 30 minutes in a game to 60 minutes in a game to 90 minutes in a game to two games to three games. That, that kind of thing can happen to a team like this where they're just not experienced enough, or they, well, they should be, but they're not experienced enough to deal with that kind of wobble and get through it. And so that is the danger there.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And just one thing to point out about Sam, Southampton, in their last eight games, they have played City, United, Everton, Chelsea, and Arsenal twice. And at the end of that run, they're in the top four. Um, wow. That, that's a lot of big games that they and, and they took you know, they split the points with Arsenal. They took a point off Chelsea. Um, they took three points off Everton. They were unlucky to, to drop points to United, frankly, and, and they got bludgeoned by city. But so you know, I mean, not to make this about Southampton, but I think you get to the point now where you you look at how the table's starting to sta- you know stack up and you know they're on 36 points they're 1 point off united in third they're only 3 points ahead of us but you know They've just gone through a really tough run of fixtures, and we know how we do in big fixtures. We've still got City at the Etihad coming up very shortly. So we'll see what happens there. But let's, um, let's get off of this game. You know, we probably spent way too much time discussing it because, truthfully, it wasn't much of a, much of a spectacle, um, to be fair. But 2014 was, was definitely something of a spectacle. An interesting year for Arsenal in terms of signings, uh, in terms of results, um, high-flying in the table, then calamitous collapse, then uh, an exuberant finish to the season with the FA Cup. I think let's just keep this to high point, low point, and try not to all say the same thing. This will be the section of the podcast where we all talk about uh, Chelsea away and the FA Cup final. But, you know, maybe we'll get some interesting answers. So, so Tim, you had alluded to uh, offline that you might have a unique answer. So let's start with you. Um, highlights of 2014 and, and low point 2014 as far as Arsenal are concerned.
4: I think the New York Red Bulls game. That was my, that was my favorite. Oh, game. Yeah. I, got, I got a chance to go to see Thierry Henry in basically what was his testimonial for American Arsenal fans. And, I mean, we lost a game, and it was a torrential downpour to, to walk in. I mean, we all got trench foot on the way in, and it wasn't a very good game, and we got to see sort of this, the nascent beginnings of this bizarre center-back pairings that we've had all season. Um, but just to be able to see Thierry Henry one more time and how much he loves the club and it was so evident and, and that was just, that was just a really wonderful moment for me. And I, I, I now know, I'm not trying to steal away from the FA cup final, which was my favorite moment, but that New York Red Bulls game to be able to meet all those Gooners, you know, meet Arsene blog in person and, and, uh, and have a good time over a weekend in New York city, a beautiful weekend in New York city was just a great, that was a great time.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because I mean, the reality is for, for at least three of us on this podcast, we are separated from Arsenal by a massive distance. And I know you make a pilgrimage there every year, Tim and chronicle it. And it's a lot of fun to read about that and see the pictures, but you know, Arsenal is as much about the relationships it forges and the, and the memories of those relationships as it is about, um, you know, as it is about watching the team and the results. So that, that's a, a great shout. And actually for me, you know, not that anyone cares what my opinion is, but my highlight was the FA Cup semifinal. Um, terrible game to watch, terrible game to sit through, but I went out to San Francisco. I got to meet Tim Clark from Ars to Mouse. Um, it was our first time hanging out together. We had a fantastic time. Uh, we then went to a San Francisco Giants baseball game and spent the day hanging out, and it was, uh, you know, it was a fantastic memory, and it was built around Arsenal. So, I think that's a I think that's a great call and and one that sort of reminds us what makes supporting the club so special and why why we use the word support instead of you know just being a fan because it brings people together. But um, that's a lot of positivity for this podcast. So can you can you give me your your low point of twenty fourteen? <laughs>
4: um, I think actually not the Chelsea game was bad, but but that, how about the Liverpool game? I agree. Where we just were shredded in those first whatever it felt like 30 seconds it felt like Mm -hmm. 30 seconds went by and arsenal were shredded and that i I don't know if that was the the beginning of this sort of fragility that we're having with this team now or whether that was you know sort of continuation of a of a long-standing fragility but that just being just being torn apart by a liverpool team that and it wasn't even suarez who did it that was the part that that drove me absolutely sterling and Sturridge. yeah
1: yeah you you know what's funny tim you know what people forget? I think is that at that point in the season, we still had a, a title shout, and we still yeah. led the league for the whole season. And Liverpool hadn't started their run yet, so no one thought anything of them. That was where it all came collapsing in on us. By the time we got to the Chelsea game, it was already done. You know.
4: Yeah, we were we were already mentally broken at that point.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely my my call too. So, uh, all right, real quick, um, James. Now, are you ready to talk about the FA Cup final and and Stamford Bridge, or do you want to go some some other direction?
3: Um, I'll talk about the FA Cup final, um, but I'll talk about it in sort of a similar vein to the way in which you guys talked about your experiences related to Arsenal. Um, Much like you, well, for the last four years, I I was restricted by that same pond. I was on the wrong side of it, um, which inhibited the way in which I, I guess, sort of, was able to view or watch Arsenal um, in the flesh. Um, And so the FA Cup final was actually the first, it was two days after I'd returned to London. Um, And I managed to go to the Tollington, and Mm -hmm. with a large group of sort of close Arsenal friends of mine. Um, And so that experience from, A, finally returning to the kind of the local area, being in a pub for the game, uh, being there for sort of six hours prior to kick-off, and, and then going through the entire emotions and you know, I, I don't need to tell you guys what it, you know what it's what it was like to see sort of Aaron Ramsey finally break that, uh, that that drought and that curse that we that's been hanging over us for so long, um, and then the emotions of sort of running through, you know you know in the pub and then running through the streets of, of North London for a while and, and sort of trying to make the most of it for as, as long as possible before then collapsing upon myself um, in sort of my plate of, of, of in my drunken state my plate of, of curry that I'd ordered. <laughs> um, to, <laughs> to top it all off, is it Geoff Raisi? Geoff Raisi, indeed. <laughs> um, so, well, that was an obvious highlight. Um like Stamford Bridge and, and Liverpool were the obvious um, downfalls. But I, I can kind of mix a a most amusing and least amusing moment that took place within the span of of of, of a minute or so, which was the the Walcott injury coupled with his then sort of two nil sign. To the Tottenham fans <laughs> on the on the stretcher, um, <laughs> which was which was great, um, and I, I guess sort of a special shout out as well to um, uh, I, I don't mean to st- openly steal your thunder, but uh, Rositsky's goal at um, at White Hart Lane as well was a mm. uh, was a fantastic moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I don't think you can look back on 2014 without remembering beating Spurs and and you know I, the the FA Cup run, obviously, but considering all the disappointing results we had. Last season against big sides, we beat Spurs three times last season, which was fantastic. Um, Paul, let's do it in reverse, uh, so that our twenty fourteen roundup doesn't end on a down note. Um, um, let's get to your low point of twenty fourteen, and then uh, and then y- your best moment of twenty
5: fourteen. So for a bit of variety, but it's not really variety because we've heard it a thousand times. Just that when you look across two thousand fourteen, the the second half of last season and the beginning of this season, just the injuries, just the, you know, it's like we're like the third country that decided to invade Russia in the winter. Hmm. we got as far as the kind of the foot, the foothills of Stalingrad. I don't know if it has any foothills. Mm -hmm. And then we spend the whole winter just like, you know, with bad boots and no coats and the wolves attacking us from the, I mean, it's just awful. You know, and, and Wenger in his uh, like his horse horse-drawn carriage is the only one who has any heat and warmth because he has to organize the battles. But everybody else is like uh, frostbitten, you know, uh, lying down, hoping the wolves will come and take them. It's just horrible. The, the yeah. injuries are just, you know, even for us, 2014, Jesus Christ almighty.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it is funny, right? I mean, you look at a team that has Ozil and Ramsey and Wilshere and Welbeck and Giroud, and we're playing Coughlin and Chambers in midfield with Riziki on the wing. It just, you wonder, you know, pe- people are talking about, you know, how will players even get get in the squad? Well, <laughs> they don't need to get in the squad. They just go straight to the treatment table. Yeah, I, I think the injury situation is is disappointing because also I think it prevents us from being able to analyze really how far we are from having a team that can challenge. Um but what what was your
5: highlight? like absolutely, the FA Cup. I went to see it uh, with my daughter in a in a pub in uh, Michigan. And uh, we go a goal down, and she looks at me because I've promised her a trophy. And then we go another goal down, and she looks at me again. At, it's what, within 10 minutes, we're two goals down. And I'm like, it's all right, Amandine. This is how we do these things and then the, the <laughs> Santee goal on around 20, 21 minutes, and suddenly the fight back's on. It's just, what a brilliant day. I mean, it, it what a corny script that would be. You know, you'd have Pele in there. You'd have uh, Bobby Moore. Uh, you'd have Sylvester Stallone in there. I mean, just a terrible script, you know, with an inevitable ending. It was just great. Uh, Fabianski contributed his little moment. So uh, mm-hmm. it was all very exciting. So, yeah, the FA Cup was wonderful. Just wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's easy to be upset about a lot of things at the club, but it's important to bear in mind that we did get that trophy drought off our back in 2014, and that's something that I think everyone will remember fondly. But it is 2015, and because it's 2015, we got a transfer window open. So let's finish the podcast talking transfers so that people will actually click on and listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, uh, I want to give some huge breaking news, though, because I think the transfer discussion is going to be severely impacted by this. Um, I don't know if you guys have been aware because it came out while we were recording. Arsene Wenger has said that if, if they're available, and I don't know if they will be, he said, quote, tomorrow, if Ronaldo or Messi become available, I will sign them. So Woo-hoo! that is That's... massive, Whoa! massive news. Um, but of course, How, how also available went on, do
4: they have to be? Do they have to be uh, standing on a street corner and actually shaking their hip a little bit and waving a handkerchief or... I because I mean, they're available I, right now if we go down there and go hey here's 300 million pounds I'm pretty sure we could get either one of those
1: I'm going to go out on a limb and say the they'd have to be available in the sense that he could buy them with whatever's in his in his wallet uh, at the moment but uh, um, he, he then did go on to say look we have many players returning from injuries we cannot play everybody I have confidence in my players we have a lot of quality I believe and have trust in them I have faith so it brings us to the question what do we need And will we get what we need? Now, unfortunately, we cannot sign mental strength or bottle or composure or any of the things that we often seem to lack. Um, Although you'd like to think you could sign players who would have those things. Um, Let's start with you, Tim. Uh, I mean, let's say this, prioritize, because I think everybody agrees what we need. I think universally, everybody agrees, defensive cover and, and defensive midfielder. I don't think there's anybody who disagrees. So rather than all just saying the same thing, which do you think is the bigger priority, getting that defensive cover we need or getting the defensive midfielder? Do you think we'll get either or both? And do you have a name in mind?
4: I don't think we're going to sign anyone.
1: Okay, that's I easy. Also, Moving on.
4: I also, um, if it was me, I would, yeah, I, I would think that he would buy somebody who can cover both. Actually, I, I'm not going to say we're not going to sign somebody. I think we're going to get somebody in on loan. That's what he's okay. going to do. Uh, just like with Kallstrom last year, there's already been – somebody. did somebody just fall out of their chair?
5: That- <laughs> <laughs> Kallstrom, just- he just broke his back.
4: Kallstrom. Anytime you say just- the word Kallstrom, and you have to say it like that, <laughs> Kallstrom.
5: Uh, <laughs> I've
4: now fallen off my chair four times. Thanks. Tim. <laughs> no, I think we're going to uh, – there's already been a name, and I don't remember the guy's name. He bandied about a guy who plays for Atletico Madrid who can play both defensive midfield and center half, and we're going to get him on loan. And that is exactly the kind of thing that Arsene Wenger is going to do. So for me, what I would prioritize is almost irrelevant. I mean, because I just know what Wenger's – we all know what
1: Wenger's going to do. Okay, so – but (laughs) but but do you think we will get someone on loan? I mean, give us some – I think we'll get
4: somebody on loan, but we won't buy anybody permanent. I think he has a permanent target in mind next year Mm -hmm. to replace Arteta or to give – to start to replace Arteta and he's not going to mess that up by going out and just buying somebody right now uh, for the short term. He's well, not even for the short term, somebody who he'd have to pay for a four year contract to sit around. while his real target, you know, when he, and then go buy his real target in, in August. So that's fair. So that's, that's where I think he's at.
5: Yep. Mario yeah, Suarez is the rumored player from Atletico Madrid. That's,
1: I knew it was a weird name like Suarez. Mario Suarez. Okay. Um, not not the Suarez that I think people would be... Hey, maybe he could add with.
4: some bite to our
3: midfield.
1: <laughs> oh, touche. Okay. Um, the problem is I well, think
3: he has a $40 million and a little bit release clause, so that may be a slight issue. Plus Joe, one. I think probably. we're going to get him on <laughs>
1: own. So, Paul, what, what about you? What do we need most? What will we get, if anything?
5: Well, I... Uh, I think what we need, we got so many midfielders, but to me, what we're lacking is that, that uh, physical presence in midfield who can really play. You know, I, do, I, I wonder what you guys' opinion on Musta Sissoko is. Uh, you know, on a good day, he's great, he's v, very Vieira like. And to me, that's what we most miss today. Uh, not to pick on Chambers, certainly not his fault, but it, had you had a driving force there, a Vieira alongside Coquelin, you know, maybe not quite as brilliant as Vieira, but like a really good driving midfielder there to impress our game plan on theirs. That, that's what I feel we really lack. So
1: someone like Manchester City's Patrick Vieira. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I would absolutely agree. I would take a Patrick Vieira. I would even take a Gilberto Silva. Um I don't know yeah. that that
5: now, player. To be you fair, know. I'm aware those are very different players, and that Vieira mm-hmm. wasn't really a DM, and Moussa Sissoko isn't necessarily really a DM. But you know, if we had had Abu, uh, God forbid me that I would say this, <laughs> if you had an Abu Dhabi like player who was healthy, you know, he'd answer a lot of our issues in midfield. At
1: yeah, you've been buzzed. That's the Abu Dhabi buzzer going <laughs> off.
5: <laughs> I had that coming.
1: <laughs> um, no, no, I agree. And look, I mean, the, the reality is that, I mean, when you get an Aaron Ramsey back who has an engine that lets him, you know, do some of the defensive work and do some covering, you know, you you can have a guy who partners with him who isn't, strictly speaking, just a, you know, a destroyer in midfield. I mean, you see how much better we are with Arteta, and no one's going to accuse him of being a destroyer. Um Let's wrap up with you, James. I mean, again, what do we need? What are we getting? And just quickly, any departures you see? I mean, I think it's pretty certain that Podolsky is going to go. I mean, that's my opinion. But um, mm-hmm. if you see additions, who are they? And, and do you think anyone other than Podolski might be gone?
3: Uh, I mean, I agree with everything that's been said in the sense that the par- priority is that, is that physical presence in the middle. Ideally, someone who is also able to play center back if necessary. Um, what we'll do is another question entirely. Wenger is a very strange man when it comes to January transfer windows. Um, I don't think we expected him to sign uh, Ashram when he did. Um, he certainly didn't expect to Calstrom. Although I guess in hindsight it didn't really shock those of us that have been following Wenger's sort of January transfer window patterns in the past. So as to what we will do, I, as optimistic as I tend to be, I don't think we'll do anything. Um, in the sense that I I do think the that there is a lot there is credence to be had in the way in which Wenger talks about waiting for the right player and I guess in some regards you can't just for a six month period be too trigger happy and and compromise for someone that happens to be available in um, in January but you would think that there surely is someone available if we if we really push hard enough to to acquire one. Um, but I think it's pretty. It's actually clearer for everyone to see that all we need to do is just buy a shitload of horse placenta. That's yeah. that. That's where the issue really lies. I think just get a ton of just buckets and bucket loads of horse placenta, and, and that, I think they'll you know transform our season. Screw the defensive midfielder and centre
1: Yeah. Well, I, I I mean I think there there's no question that if we were you know I'm going to use a bizarre term here, fully fit. Um, the the issue of what we need to be successful would, would look very different. It's hard to evaluate the squad when it's it's down to such bare bones and you're playing people out of position, unfamiliar positions, and you forget just how much talent is in the side. Um, but also, I mean, we, we know this. Last season, I think we got off to such a strong start because we had very little change. Um, and the players were familiar with each other and they came out of the gates quickly and they played well right from the start. Um and then some of our deficiencies and injuries started to cost us. The problem you have this season is even when the players do get back, they've had so little time playing together. It's going to take time for that continuity to develop. And so, you know, you hope if we don't make signings, that at least those players get back quickly enough that they can build that cohesion that they need. I think personally that we will get in some defensive cover, maybe on loan. I don't see us getting the midfielder that we all want, um, at least not in January. Um and we just have to hope that players come back um, and, and that we can find some form because the reality is that uh, top four is definitely the goal now. And, and I think you'd be crazy not to at least see that it's somewhat in jeopardy, um, but we'll leave it there. I wish everyone a happy new year again, certainly everyone on the pod and everyone listening, uh, both of you um, happy new year. And may your new year be filled with uh, top four finishes and trophies and who knows, maybe a run in the champions league. Let's not forget. We've got uh, we got the champions league returning in February and maybe that could be a chance to lift the club. I mean, I know it's more fixtures, but making a little run in Europe could give us some confidence to, to maybe, you know, restart or jumpstart the, the, the league season. So I want to thank everyone again for uh, coming on. First of all, Tim, uh, really appreciate you taking time out of new years to, to jump on the pod.
4: Wassail everyone! Have a great year.
1: Yeah, you too as well. And if you want to follow Tim, as you should, and read his blog because it's it's excellent. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at seven a.m. kickoff. It's the number seven, seven a.m. kickoff because that's the kind of uh, uh, sacrifice that he has to make to get up to watch the Arsenal. Uh, Hung over and, and exhausted to watch the kind of shit that he saw today on New Year's. So we thank <laughs> him for that. And a blo- the blog, of course, is 7amkickoff.com. So thanks, Tim. And w- thank as you. always, thanks to Paul for being here. You can find Paul on Twitter at Um We'll leave it at that because we made the joke the first time around. Paul, Happy New Year.
5: Woohoo! Happy New Year to everybody.
1: Oh, we got a full woohoo out of him. That's that's brilliant. And then, uh, as ever, the, the lone um, uh, English accent on the show today. Uh, certainly necessary for our credibility. So uh, GunnerFanatic49 is where to find him on Twitter. His name is James. James, thank you for gracing us with your your lovely accent and your wonderful insights.
3: Thank you, Elliot. A happy, a healthy, and hopefully an injury-free New Year to you all.
1: Same to you all. And uh, as ever, my name is Elliot Smith. You can follow me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. If you prefer to block me, then I am Blackburn George. And I hope everybody had a wonderful new year um, as much as is possible under the circumstances of Arsenal. We will be coming back after the FA Cup tie with Hull. Chance to relive the good memories of the FA Cup final, but hopefully not going down a couple goals first. So uh, happy new year, everyone, and we'll talk to you then. Cheers.